Welcome everyone to this episode of the Naked Guru Experience, discussions on psychology, philosophy, spirituality, and consciousness. First off, a thanks to our sponsor, the Psychedelic Society. And as ever, it always helps if you like and subscribe to our channel. Today's guest is Jeffrey Weam. Jeffrey is the founder of the Living Wisdom Project and Awakenings Health and Wellness. Originally from Northern California, Jeffrey worked in the media for many years, later leaving this career to follow his calling in 2005 to begin an education in Andean energy medicine in the highlands of Peru. He offers programs and trainings globally, providing an integrative approach to awakening consciousness and holistic healing based on quantum healing, somatic rebalancing, bioenergetic integration, shamanic practice, yoga, meditation, and animistic consciousness. Welcome, Jeffrey, and thanks for agreeing to the conversation. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the chance to have the conversation. So there's a lot, even in the introduction, to unpack there, terminologically wise. But before we go uh, go there, I'd just like to take you back to your past. Like um, you were formerly working in the media before 2005. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about your life um, be- before before this journey in 2005, and just what you were up to then in the media. What was your life like? Growing up in the West, I was trying my best to find satisfaction by what was available at the time. The problem I came to discover around my mid-20s is there wasn't a touchstone for any type of consciousness or spirituality or anything outside of, say, consumerism. So I slowly started to awaken to the fact that I wasn't satisfied, and it was like an itch I couldn't scratch. And so for about 17, 18 years in the media, I went from different platforms from photography to video, television, and film, thinking that if I got to a certain place or a certain arena, that that would somehow satisfy this deeper feeling. And once I got a chance to direct out in Los Angeles and kind of have my break, about halfway through the shoot, I realized that wasn't it either. And this very deep uh, feeling came over me, kind of like, "Uh uh-oh, what to do now? Mm-hmm. And so long story short with that is I took six months and I looked for a conscious production company that had some sort of understanding of even environmental awareness at that time. And this was the mid 90s and it just wasn't there. It was very common to build a set and then just come through and destroy it and put it in a dumpster and pull it off to the landfill. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't really be a part of that. And so I decided to take six months off and I moved up to Northern California where the Redwood Forest is. And I sat literally under the forest and tuned in with nature and plant spirits every day and just pondered the question, what am I doing and what is this and, and what is life and how do I go forward? And and these questions that were not able to be fulfilled for so many years in, in what I was brought up to be told as would be a success or would be a satisfaction or create a security or a sense of well-being and it just wasn't true. So my media experience taught me technically how to be a part of that. And then I'm folding that into the Living Wisdom Project years later by bringing that to the world, but bringing it filled with all of the the ancient technologies that I so long sought but had no idea were out in the world. So for me right now, it's become full circle where I can apply the skill set I learned in one environment to help bridge that which is literally been prophesized for millennia, which is at this time, there'll be those from the North that wish to find the light from the darkness of their time. And so for us, we use media as you are to help create those bridges so that we can find 
the information to burrow the light out of the dark, you might say. Mm-hmm. And so can you tell me, still sticking there right in the past, what 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 kind of stuff were you involved with then? What what were you doing before before all of this? What when you say films, what what kind of films or series or what were you shooting? Well, it began with uh, photography, working for different magazines, and that was in Asia, and North South America, and Europe. And then it went to commercial production, where I had a chance to and music videos as well. I had a chance to work with very established directors and producers um, on the top of the game, and I thought, well. You know, if I'm going to find it in this arena, it's going to be here. But it's ironically ran into some of the most difficult egos I've ever encountered in my life. <laughs> yeah, it's quite cutthroat now. It is, yeah. And just the kind of, not just the cutthroat nature of the business, but the sheer lack of respect for human dignity and how, um, you know, verbal abuse, um, just a really, uh, you know, no care for human kindness whatsoever. So, I mean, not across the board, but in general, I experienced that. And that was the impetus to say, maybe it's not here. So I wanted my creativity. And so I started to explore, well, I want to direct. And so I, I got a chance to direct a television commercial mm-hmm. and quite a large series of them at, at that. And even that just didn't do it. And um, it was at a time when there's a lot of tension. The Los Angeles riots were happening in the early 90s. O.G. Simpson was on trial. And you really got to see a lot of polarity between the Asians and the African-Americans. You saw the disparity between doing commercials for luxury items that most of the world couldn't um, or even didn't even want to own. So I started, I would say, my awakening in that time. And as I said, I went up into the redwood forest and worked with plant medicine um, and sat and talked to the ancient trees and asked and you know almost begged for forgiveness for my ignorance and understanding. And at that time, that opened a series of events where I left Los Angeles and went up to Oregon, took a, a, a job making very little money, but gave me the opportunity to be in a small town in the mountains. And at that point, I started to have mystical experiences that I just couldn't explain or understand, and I thought I was literally losing my mind. Mm-hmm. So I, I sought out a, um, advice from a Qigong master up in Portland, and she looked at me after I explained some of my experience, he said, I think you need to start studying. And in fact, why don't you come to uh, China and Tibet with me and study with the masters directly? And I think they'll be able to help you. Mm. And so I did. And I started to have more mystical experiences there in Kathmandu and in Lhasa and then up in Dharamsala. And I kind of introduced me to a whole realm of reality that uh, certainly was not in my incarnational choice as a child, but um, I was so happy to find it because it gave me a context uh, to work with this. So I did an initiation with the Dalai Lama, and that led to me doing outdoor adventure work as a film format. I was a Red Bull cameraman for five years, so I had a lot of very extreme adventures, but again, at the end of the day, there was something missing. And so that just kept leading me further and further afield into myself really until I hit a wall and in 2002 I injured myself while doing a television series and that was the catalyst event that helped me to realize that it wasn't something that I could do part-time to make enough money from a corporate structure in order to do my nonprofit work as a filmmaker mm-hmm. uh, and you know, as a filmmaker, if I go back a little bit in 2000, I did a film, a documentary behind the scenes for a Warner Brothers production 
of a film called Red Planet, which turned out to be not a very good film, but the whole construct was us terraforming Mars. And if we don't live in a sustainable manner here on Earth, aren't we just going to be taking our unsustainable ways and destroying a, a terraformed environment on Mars? So it was, a, it was a full circle, if you will, to recognize that even in that level of awareness, there was a lack of awareness happening. And so I just, I just came to an end and I stopped. And through my injury, I took some time to recalibrate. And then ultimately, and thankfully, the insurance company for ABC Television, they uh, were responsible to retrain me if I wanted to do something new. And that led me into this holistic path, which ultimately led me to the Andes and to becoming a celestial practitioner. And all of that was arranged by spirit. So who says there's any mistakes or accidents, right? I find uh, it's very much an on purpose, and I just uh, do my best to uh, do my work and 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 support humanity the way I can in the small way that I do. Great. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing that from from the setup, there's a number of listeners that, that listen to the channel from different paths in life, different disciplines. Uh, some Buddhists, some Hindus, some uh, Christians, some atheists. Um, some that are kind of, let's call them initiated, non-initiated, whatever the terminology you want to use. And um, for, for them, I'd like to take it quite slow and really break down some of this terminology. So for, for you, when you say a mystical experience, could you describe to me what, what, what that was, what, what, you would, uh, how, what that means to you? Uh, yeah, of course. It's a bit personal, but I'll do my best to share. When I speak of a mystical experience, I speak of something that lies outside of the definition that science can offer, uh, a mathematical equation of an understanding or a, a commonality, really, of what is normal. And so for me, I happened to be riding my mountain bike through the backwoods along a road in Oregon. And a voice said to me quite clearly, turn off the light. And I should say, I, it was at night. Um, there was no moonlight. There was no street lights. It was quite dark. I said, turn off the light. And I immediately reacted to that to protect myself as the limbic brain does. And I said, you know, no, I'm going to crash. And I said, you're going to have to learn to trust at some point. So I took a deep breath and I turned off the light. And then I started to giggle at my own ridiculousness of not being willing to go beyond my own parameters of my own experience, my own understanding. So I not only did that, but I took my hands off the handlebars and I closed my eyes. And I rode down this road for a couple of minutes. And there was in my mind, I was afraid I was going to crash off the side of the road for sure. And then after a couple of minutes of that same voice screamed very quickly and very loudly, stop. And so I grabbed the brakes and came to a screeching stop, flipped on the light to see that I was at a T-junction, an intersection in life. And that if I wouldn't have listened to it trying to protect me, to give out, get outside of my own egoic authority, I would have ran headlong into the rocks right in front of me. So I sat there and I said, should I go left or should I go right? You know, that choice in life. Yeah. If I go to the, my right, I'm gonna go further out of town and away but I have work and I have responsibilities in this life, so I'm going to turn left and I'm going to go back towards town and continue my journey. So I turned left and about two, 300 meters later, I realized that this energy had come around me and I was really very, very deep in a 
meditative space because I was processing what had just occurred to me about having this uh, experience with the voice, having this trust of letting go, and then furthermore, having the trust of putting on the brakes when it told me to put on the brakes. And so in this deep kind of pondering, I started to recognize everything around me started to lighten up. And I just noticed it, noticed it, and then suddenly everything at about a 30-foot parameter around me, or about 10 meters around me, was lit up. And so I pulled off to the side of the road to let the car pass. And when I went into that part of my brain, I looked back and to see that there was no car. Hmm. What to do at that point? I looked at the house that was 100 feet up the hill, and there was a little 100-watt bulb on the porch light. So that's not possible. And so I just kind of shrugged it off and just kept moving forward. And I went about another 100 meters or so, and it started to happen again. <clears throat> so I decided that I would stay in that mindset or that slightly defocused state, meditative state, state that I was in. And I gently looked to my side to see there was no car. And then I questioned and pondered, what is this that's happening? And as I looked down at my arms in front of me, I saw that the light was actually emanating out of the photons in my cells. And I quickly came to a stop and I sat there crying, um, <clears throat> thinking I was going crazy, um, not having any clue what was going on, having no reference point whatsoever in a Western upbringing for yeah. this. Yeah. I, I literally just shook my head and cried and pondered and then eventually got back on my bike and rode back into town. and didn't even talk to my roommates about it or anybody because I didn't even know how to begin to explain this. And that was the impetus to reach out to this Qigong master and say, you know, I need some help because I think I'm, I'm losing it here. And, and so then after, after these experiences, you said around 2005, you, you decided to go to the Andes, right? Right. And can you tell me a little bit about that journey and, and your arrival there, the, the, initial, the initial experience? Yeah. I had been uh, working with a kapuna or an elder in Hawaii at the time and studying a, a, a craft, Lomi Lomi, because I was in my process of becoming a holistic health practitioner, which is culminated in what I do now. Mm. And um, I had another accident where I was doing Qigong out on the outside uh, bank of the lava flow next to the ocean. And I pulled up a bunch of energy. And long story short, I basically blacked out and I took a tumble down this cliff and came to rest at the bottom and I checked myself that I was all in one piece and limped back to uh, the house where I was doing my training. And she just, you know, patched me up and, and said, you know, you have to be careful. You were actually doing your work right where King Kamehameha and James Cook did their battle. And so you were unknowingly tapping into those energies. And you don't yet know how to handle that type of energy, so you need a lot more training. And so I kind of just licked my wounds and, and went about my training. And then someone at the training handed me a book about the Andes. Long story short, led me to a conference down there where there's about 150 Westerners and about 15 to 20 Pacos, um, which Paco means uh, one who embodies uh the ceremonies it's not like shamanism it's more praying into the unmanifest power what's called ia and then bringing that down to earth to create manifestation here so we act intermediaries between heaven and earth i guess is the 
way to put that into uh, simple terms and through prayer, intention, and ceremony. We do that body work. So I found myself there um, very intrigued, like I was in a place I'd never been before, but completely understood. And then about a week into that conference, uh, a group of the Pacos came up and asked if I was interested in uh, apprenticing, to which I said yes. And then that entered my, it opened the door for me to enter into uh, the tradition. Okay. And the, the um, Pacos, can you tell me a little bit about what ceremonies they were doing? What, what is their worldview? What is, what is their view? The, the Paco worldview um, is one of a collective nature. It's completely animistic. It's mm -hmm. one of the few traditions in the world that is uh, unbroken, that remains completely in connection all the time. And so there's 13 different levels of initiation. From the first six levels are called Pampa Masayuk, and those are ones who embody the earth prayers. So you start out dealing with your own ego, then you work into the manipulations of darkness and selfishness and service to self, mm. uh, common term. And then you start to do ceremonies, fire ceremonies, water ceremonies, earth ceremonies, air, and um, ether, and that's the elementals. And then beyond that, you go into the plants and the herbs and the medicinals and the salves and the medicines, both as a internal practitioner and an, out, an external practitioner. Now, the interesting thing about this tradition is there isn't any use of plant medicine per se, like there's found in the Amazon or Central America. Mm -hmm. The uh, celestially directed and elemental and earth spirit, the spirit of Gaia or Pachamama directed lineage that works through open dialogue and animistic consciousness. And I, I'll say um, interactions with beings that manifest in physical form so that um, you have a very real, tangible, scientifically viable, replicable, quantitative experience that addresses that doubt or suspicion that the Western mind so easily goes into. Mm. And this body of work continues on into the lower levels of working with what's called apus or mountain spirits. And these are celestial beings that have taken the responsibility of the job, you might say, to do a body of work on this planet to assist and aid in the evolution and consciousness, as well as the harmonization and balance of the elements, including the human race here on planet Earth. And so, go ahead. Right. And so, I mean, in, in your experience, when you say um, there are beings or entities that can manifest in form, you physically, you've seen this and experienced this with them? or? Yeah, this is the normal interaction for the Ultima Sciax or the practitioners that have graduated into the celestial aspect. So as you move up, you work with the lower mountain spirits and those mountain spirits have different jobs. For example, uh, bringing forth celestial information, harmonizing the, the energy of the fields or the animals or the human race, dispersing what they call kaka, which is uh, the Quechua term for ego or egoically driven imbalances that occur within humanity and their environment, contamination, pollution, for example. And then as you get up to the sixth level, and if you're called to become uh, an ultimasayuk, you go through a series of initiations that include being struck by lightning that basically knocks you out and rewires you into a different form where your capacity for um, understanding, uh, your vision, your all your sensory perceptions beyond what is known to science come online. And then you take on higher and higher responsibilities um, regionally, globally, 
um, interstitially. Mm-hmm. And I know you spent some time in Tibet and Nepal, uh, as of I, and um, in, in Hindu cultures and Buddhist cultures. I spent 11 years in them. Can you reconcile anything from those traditions with this uh, Paco tradition? I find them to be incredibly similar um, geographically, high altitude, close to the stars, pollution. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the Bon tradition in the um, the Himalayas is what Yeshua went to to learn from. Um, these traditions are very ancient. Um, they are animistic completely. They are call and response in the sense of prayer and intention set forth and being answered while sitting in the form of collective consciousness as opposed to, I want a new car, so please provide that for me. Mm-hmm. If the car is the vessel that takes me to point B so that I can do that body of work and show up for the greater good, then that car is provided. But if it's simply for my own personal likes, then maybe those things aren't going to be answered in the same way they would otherwise. So I find in all of the traditions, the Kogi and Columbia, uh, you know, the Mamos, and, and uh, down in, in Africa, in Kenya, when I was sitting with the spiritual leader um, there, uh, I found similarities. So I would say that the ancient traditions have held a similar construct, all based in animistic consciousness, on making decisions based on what's best for everyone, a holistic, harmonic approach to life. And then over time, as different influences uh, from the West or institutionalized religious um, disruptions, inquisitions, and things like that have set forth, they have disrupted certain aspect, and the elders have been killed off by smallpox or things like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not bringing attention to the negative, I'm simply saying that traditions have been broken and have ceased to be so many uh, holistic all over the world, yes. Yeah, so many. Uh, it's, a, it's a great loss um, to, in, in our evolution. Again, not to be negative, it's just a fact. It's a great yeah. loss of human evolution. But, uh, but I also do feel that now we have a kind of renaissance of this, and I think it's heavily tied in with what you're doing and, and, and what we're doing uh, cumulatively and technologically, uh, spreading the word on all of these different things, however outre or quite uh, foreign, uh, abstract they may seem. And in the sense of what you're talking about, I haven't personally experienced this. So I'm trying to get out of you how, uh, I'm trying to kind of get from you how I can relate it to things I'm much more familiar with, which is um, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, and, 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 and Tibet, uh, Tibetan practices. But um, f- for you, uh, did, did the tribe, uh, the, the Paco, did they, did they have um, a belief in God? How do they conceptualize God? Um, like a Hindu conceptualization, maybe God is the self. Everybody is an expression of God. Everybody is a manifestation of the universe. And so we're all collect- we have our individual consciousness, and we're also connected on the collective consciousness in a Jungian sense. What is the Paco's view, and, and from you, your training, what is their view on what is God? Well, exactly the same as you expressed it, it is that there is a force of consciousness that is emanating and pulsing, um, distributing life force uh, throughout the universes. And so that is both within and without. And so there's a, a prayer outwardly or a communication outwardly in order to gain assistance for the endeavors that we do here on earth. And then there's a self-responsibility inwardly to for that holiness within and to walk in that way. Um, so whether it be Hinduism or Buddhism or Christianity or what have you, there's a basis in communication, which is known as prayer or a dialogue between yourself and the elemental or between 
yourself and Mother Earth. And a deep respect, I would say in the Andes, it's based on a deep humility, a deep respect, a reciprocity, and what is called Aini, or an unconditional right relationship. Mm. Now, would you say, um, de Paco, are they dogmatic in any way? Are they, because you talked about a kind of level system, which suggests possibly a, a, a hierarchy. Uh, are they dogmatic in their religion, as in Christianity would have certain levels of priests and the Pope, etc. Are they um, kind of open to to other expressions of what we're talking about is fundamentally the same thing, of course. Uh, every religion is talking about the same thing, just in different terminology. But some religions are very uh, restrictive on uh, letting letting uh, other worldviews come in. How would you say, uh, if you understand my question, uh, how would you say it is with the Paco? Well, I would say that there isn't a religion. There's a philosophy of life or way of life that's based in holistic consciousness, animism, um, dialogue between people, communication, whatever it is that another needs is provided so that you can be provided for. So um, they exist beyond the construct of religion completely. They're an ancient um, philosophy uh, way of life that stretches back to time immemorial, and they very much base themselves in collective consciousness, which is something we in the West have lost in our individuality. And so if you have the idea of unity consciousness or a oneness, and then you have a, 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 another aspect which could be seen as collective consciousness where we're taking care of everyone, and then you have a further extrapolation into individuated space, what I see is we have ex become highly specialized using a small percentage of our mind, whereas within the Andes and other traditions, you are working in a collective, much more um, holistic aspect of your mind. So as we pair up the individuated form and the collective form, we achieve unity conscious once again. Yes. So the irony is I feel we have chosen to come into this incarnation or into this world to live in separation, to live outside of the construct of God, to live in separation and fear. And ironically now, as we find ourselves in lockdown, we're in the most extrapolated point we could get, which is the touching of the extreme of the pendulum swing up. And then it becomes to make its journey back into the center or the balance point. So at one extreme you have unity at the other extreme, you have separation, which can be called light and dark, right and wrong, up yes. and down, all the dualistic complementary terms. What I've come to understand from the elders that is embodiment or illumination simply comes from the integration, the total integration of all that is perceived to be light and all that is perceived to be dark. And then you have a aspect where you're no longer in repulsion or compensation or opposition and therefore you're outside of war and you're living beyond the right. duality of war and peace. You're in a meta position of understanding that incarnationally I am uh, doing something that is harmful. And on the other incarnational understanding, I'm experiencing what I'm being harmed by. And I get to choose if I want to be harmed and I get to choose if I want to harm. And from that experience of reality, my soul can extend itself to a place where I can see both positions both for their harmful nature and both for their beneficial wisdom that comes out of it through the experience. And then I can graduate to a higher degree of understanding. And so to wrap that back to the Pacos and to that body of culture, it's 
operating in that deeper understanding that what I do to myself, I'm doing to my environment and everyone around me. So mm -hmm. I'm going to think and act in a manner that is best for the people in front of me. And as a result of that aspect of grace or that being a hollow reed that follows through me, I am experiencing that state of grace and generosity and love and providence that I so wish to receive from one another. And I find in our world, we tend to act out of protection sometimes and scarcity only to find that that is reflected back to us. Which, which I guess echo, is echoed very well in, in the other disciplines also. In the Christian view, do, do unto others as you'd like to be done to yourself. Uh, the Hindu view of Atman as everybody is a, the collective self expressing itself in multiple forms. Uh, it's echoed throughout other disciplines too, would you agree? Absolutely. I think you're right on with that. And that ties us back to back at that first conscious aspect of what we experience. I have come privy to information that we've been here, you know, 900,000 years and various forms and epochs where we were androgynous for a couple. And then we, the story in Christianity of the PC uh, Sophia, where the form asked the creator to come down as woman so she could birth both man and woman in a dualistic sense. So there was an opposition from which we can grow from. And so I think all of it comes from an opportunity to sit in duality and have the ability and free will to choose and to become an alchemist really, and to see which way we want to take this and which way we wish to experience this. And then from that um, and through repetition, come to understand what might be a better way or the best way to achieve that. I guess one irony of the situation is that one has to experience duality in, in its lived reality in order to transcend it. Uh, one has to experience in suffering to, to almost transcend it. It's almost like the mechanistic uh, universe is, is made that way. It's almost like we're, we're, we manifest in form and, and we're, we're born into separation, but through certain practices uh, and, 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 um, and paths, we can transcend that. Is, is that, would you agree in that or would you recognize that irony there? Absolutely. I think it's highly ironic because if I'm in a state of sitting next to creator, for example, just a metaphor and watching creation happen, to get people to become self-realized, you have to have a polarity or you have to rub the sticks together with enough friction yeah, so to yeah. create that fire. And so everything, one what is light is a hand of God and what is dark is a hand of God. And it's up to us to embody that state of, of the Atman or to, to have the Samadhi experience of oneness that comes out of just like the Buddha, you know, got the Buddha realized that, well, the opulence of being Siddhartha and the, the prince was not of my liking and nor was the aesthetic and the deprecation of my body. So I'm going to stand up from this Bodhi tree. And when he stood up, is when he shattered the roof beam in my understanding, which means he enlightened his mind and realized the middle way. Yeah. And now what's interesting in that is that he didn't complete all of his awakening because from my understanding from the elders that they've shared it, there's 60 to, seven, 60 to 70 aspects of awakening that one goes through to achieve totality. Mm -hmm. And so the, the Buddha went on and started to travel, right? To work through his emotional body, for example. And as he, walked around in that enlightened state, you might say, of the mind, the people didn't like, the people of control didn't like the fact that he was teaching people to have a direct connection to God. So they wound up poisoning him. And so then you see him as the lion Buddha because he was in so much pain, he couldn't see 
sit up to do his offerings. So even at that extended state of awareness, still running into duality as I find in, in everyday life, it's the Buddha said, fall down seven times, get up eight. So I believe everything is set on the table and then we decide what we want to eat or which Lego pieces we want to put together to construct this totality or this wholeness that we can embody. And everything is, is, a, a, is a respected and a necessary part. And I believe that's why we have all this in this world at this far extent we have the contamination, the separation, the anxiety, the depression, the suicide, because we are flooded with this structure that becomes so dark, the density is equal to the luminosity. And then it is, it's up to us to turn and say, okay, that doesn't work. What else is out there? I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to go. I'm wholeheartedly unprepared and my cultural reference points are absent. And that refers me back to my childhood of thinking, am I really supposed to go to a department store to find my salvation? <laughs> and there's got to be something else. And so the perfection of this unfolding is we're all given through our free will, the opportunity to choose a life of goodness if we should. And, and ironically, as I've been informed from the upper realms, beyond these 12 dimensions, there isn't any free will because we simply don't need it because all there is is love. Yeah, a foundation of love and bliss. Um, I, 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 it also ties in very nicely with uh, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, right? This separation from what is the department store, the, the defining salvation, actually going off in search of something uh, deeper and more, as you've described in, in your early journey, and then uh, finding it and coming back and, and sharing it with the, the, the world. And and that that is a iterated process across time and and births, it seems to me, it seems we manifest not just once, but across uh, eternity until until that's complete. And it seems like an ongoing uh, thing. I mean, how, how does that deal with uh, the belief system of both you and the Pacos? Uh, it gels uh, completely. I mean, yeah, I would say it gels completely. It's actually become a bit of an antiquated um, journey at this point. And I don't mean any disrespect for that, certainly not to Joseph Campbell, but a friend of mine was a lawyer for Joseph Campbell in his last years, and he said, Joseph used to always talk a lot. We need a new mythology for the planet. It's time for a new mythology. We've mm -hmm. come to the hero's journey. It is no longer about um, going out and slaying the dragon and returning home the hero. And so how that lands with me personally, and it is echoed in the ancient traditions, is that we are on the lover's journey. So we have gone out and slayed the dragon. We've gone and accomplished and come home the hero. And now we must turn inward and uh, come to love all of the wounds that we've collected on that great journey, mm -hmm. um, our national journey. So the extension that humanity is experiencing, in my opinion, is once you get to the end of the internet and once you've bought everything on that is available to buy, you've come to be alone in a room under a lockdown, which is a beautiful unfoldment of God that we can all resist or we can see it as a beautiful vision quest to say, that's not it. The thing that I'm really struggling with is my isolation from myself and the ultimate violence, which is my separation from creation itself. Mm. And the lover's journey for me becomes about that inward journey through that valley of death to reach the temple of light. Mm. And in your view, do you believe all is part of a divine unfolding plan? Because one might say that, um, yeah, we need to find that oneness again, 
But the beauty of, of separation, if God manifests temporarily in form with the limitation resistance of time, uh, living each life, uh, there must be a purpose to that. And so it, it, is it uh, our job to find that or is it our, our job to just allow it to happen? You know, is it an active thing or is it a, a passive thing? It seems to me all across the world, beings are wakening up through multiple different uh, processes to multiple different levels. Uh, but it seems particularly pr predominantly now. And that's why I do these podcasts. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I feel there's so many different ways and varieties of things. Um, everybody finds their own way. Uh, back in the mid nineties, I had the opportunity to sit with the head of the Taoist uh, tradition in Beijing at the white cloud temple. And I asked him the question, you know, do you believe that there's just one way and coming from the West, you know, what is your feelings about being a Taoist for a Westerner to be a Taoist? And he got a very old kind of Yoda-like creature <laughs> and beautiful man. He stood up and started shouting. And I was very kind of like, uh-oh, I stuck my finger in it, you know? And his translator said, I'll give you the short thing. He said, he doesn't care what road you're on, just find a road. It'll lead you ultimately to source. And so mm. with that, I have found that at times, very necessarily, I need to step forward with one foot in my action, in my decision, in my constitution, in my sovereignty, in my capacity, even to fall down and stand back up as well. And to make that, mm, that stand, if you will, to rise. And at the same time, I need to step forward in the receptivity or even step backwards in the receptivity and allow it to happen. So one of the things that I find is there's a very large, interesting, uh, structure at play here where we're kind of lost in between do i do something or do i allow something and i say both i say i open to all the potentiality and the guidance and take the road less traveled i also think that without if i look at indiana jones in the movie temple of doom i think it was and he steps out into the abyss only to find that there's a, a solid structure underneath him what i find is through my faith and through my trust and through the intelligence of experience and perceptual reality mm -hmm. but more through trust i find my wings on the way down after i've made the leap of faith mm -hmm. and it is to me it is both yes yes yeah both active in that one must be have faith enough and be brave enough to step forward but passive in the sense that it is unfolding in some way itself and i yeah and i would say that we have to be intelligent enough to get out of our own way and the idea that we have to protect or control or make sure or micromanage so that we're not harmed. Because when we engage something, all we have is our perceptual response. And this is something that I learned very deeply from ayahuasca years back as I was in the jungle trying to find a reference point to get through or to deconstruct the limitations in my Western mind. Mm -hmm. And that whatever it is that you find outside of yourself, look within and find it there and heal it there, and then you'll no longer be able to see it outside. And how that applies is that if I'm looking outside and I'm in an intersection of life or with an individual or a situation, and I'm triggered into a limbic response of fear based on what has happened in the past, I have to honor that the limbic mind is doing that because its job is to protect me. But yet I have to have a way with all that for myself, I have to watch what Jeff is doing, so to speak, so that I can begin to make a choice 
to re-enter into that body of water to learn how to swim in a new way, even though the last time I was there, I may have drowned, so to speak, to use a metaphor. Sure. So there's an understanding of life and there's a courage that occurs. And these are very much tenets of the Andean tradition and the Andean cosmology, the cosmovision, mm. how to work at one with the visions and the signs and the signals, the bird that is chirping, the lightning strike, the what have you, so that I am led upon the path through my own temptation, through my own difficulty, through my own destruction, through my own diversions, through my own delusions, to come to a place where I can open to a new experience and walk with the hand of God um, and be guided by the angelic, be guided by the earth mother, be guided by that which scares me the most and yeah. understand that that is a way. And if I may, I can share a, an example of that. Sure. When I was, um, earlier in my training, I was, uh, as a pumpa messiah, as an earth practitioner, before I went through the, the process to become an ultimate messiah, I was told there'll be a series of initiations and the first two of those initiations will be facilitated by one of the elders. You'll be struck by lightning. You'll be going through this. There's a chance you may not make it. Um, there's a chance you may be crazy. You know, you know, it is up to you to make these decisions, but ultimately the last incarnation or the last initiation you'll be taking will be you and creator, you and God itself. And you will go up to the Holy Glacier when the time is ready and you will strip naked and dance at 5,000 meters, 15,000 feet on the Holy Glacier all night long. And if you survive, you will receive the initiation. And if you don't, you won't. You mm. won't make, will cease to exist in this body. So it's a very uh, potential loss, a huge loss, you know, uh, uh, this, the fear is very high, it can be. But through that dedication and through that opportunity, we're given the chance to focus and say, what is my path? I've chosen so many times to do other paths in media, in business, in various things, and it just hasn't been fulfilled. Are you willing to give everything in order to have everything? Mm. Yes. And so I said to him, and he said, oh, and one other thing, on your way up to the mountain, the holy mountain, you're going to encounter your worst nightmare. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like a three-headed monster? And he said, well, if that is your worst nightmare, then that's what you'll achieve. And that's what you'll encounter. And he said, well, do I need to slay the dragon? Do I need to do the hero's journey? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. And I said, well, what do you mean? How do I get past this creature and get up and do my work? And he gave me a second to think about it. And I was perplexed. I had no idea what to do because my whole thing was in opposition, in duality, and I must do the hero's journey, right? And he said, no, no, you must love this creature with mm -hmm. all of your heart so that it becomes your ally and protects you from all darkness while you're dancing your holy dance on the glacier all night. And that absolutely blew my mind and blew the construct. I can say I have yet to take that initiation, but I know what's in front of me and I know what um, is necessary. And I hope to be able to apply that knowledge, that ancient wisdom to how I address my everyday life. Because I think for us now, we're in a time where it's necessary to bring wholeness or holiness into everything we do, as opposed to just doing our prayers in the temple or up on the mountain. And in that way, I hear another elder saying, you know, Jeffrey, the cave is closed. The time retreat and 
montage and the monastic life has been completed, that body work is done. Now we must invigorate the body and enliven ourselves in the densest places we can find. Mm -hmm. I've, I, while doing the research on your work in preparation for this discussion, um, something you did say did interest me was um, you said that it's time for us um, moving away from the time of the teacher and to become the teacher ourselves. And I think this is very in line with this. You describe yourself as a tour guide, more than a tour guide than a, a teacher. And I think more, more than ever, that's very, very important with so many um, supposed teachers out there offering so many potions and, and charms and methods in, in order to help people with their own uh, liber liberation with un sometimes questionable motives themselves. Uh, finding our own liberation, being our own teacher, being our own shaman, our own guru, God and guru and self are all the same, as Sri Ramana Maharshi may say. Um, I think that's important, and that really was poignant to me when I when, when I heard you say that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, if we look at guru, it's to lead one from the dark to the light, if I'm correct in that interpretation. So I find that the time of the teacher, just like the hero's journey, may have passed in that back in the day before we hit 2011 and, and eclipse that point in the procession of equinox of the spin of the Milky Way, we've come into the new era where we can become completely enlightened by stubbing our toe. Uh, mm -hmm. Eckhart Tolle talks about he's had enough and he just he spontaneously awoken one day. And yeah. so, you know, if you take the, the greats uh, leaders or the teachers or the wayshores in the past, they figured out how to get through the darkness and you had to do the same puja or the same prayer or the same thing to get there. And now I've been told by elders that it has opened up and we find our own way. So absolutely, I feel like we're a tour guide and following in Gandhi's uh, example, be the example you wish to be in the world. Just simply be the one that shares the experience and maybe offers a view that somebody hasn't had so they can explore it for themselves and therefore come into an understanding in their own capacity so their own truth lies within and they're not deferring their authority or their sovereignty outside themselves and i think that is the, the great awakening that we're occurring that's occurring right now and you know the funny thing is that the reason this podcast is called the naked guru experience is exactly that it's um it's discussions with people and stripping bare the, this kind of idea of the guru is outside. Um, it's just discussions with people and their experiences in their life and their contextual framework, um, mm -hmm. with with no ego, but in the in the sense to to learn and to share and to um, just express these these ideas. Let it go viral. Let let everybody understand they are divine beings. Let them let them understand that the answer is the kingdom of heaven is within, as Jesus would say. The answer is I really like that part of your work, uh, Jeffrey. Mm, well, thank you. I I couldn't agree with you more. And I find you know we are an organism of about 7.7 .7 billion cells at the moment, <laughs> yes. and we have lived in a state of separation and isolation, largely due to dogmatic approach and things like that, the hijacking of consciousness and the variations on that that have kept us the way we are by design, shall we say, mm. so that we come to that far pendulum swing and say, well, actually, just like an aspen grove, it's one tree, you know, and so that organism is 1,200 acres in the state of Utah in the United States, and it's one tree with mm. many shoots over 1,200 acres. So too, 
am I one cell and you one cell. I happen to be on Bali. You happen to be on another island called England. Yeah. Right? United Kingdom. We are all on an island or a spaceship Earth floating in a universe of stars, making this epic journey together only to self-realize ourselves that we never left. We just happened to take a, maybe it wasn't even a diversion and kicking ourselves out of the garden in order to think, in order to feel separate so that we knew how to find our way home and bring back all the opportunity that separation and darkness offer us. Yeah, and it seems that you being one cell, me being one cell, language is the electrical signal between which those cells communicate. Um, and, and, and now we have this beautiful extension of the, the brain network, which is now the internet and the, and the, the, the Wi-Fi network. It's, it seems mm -hmm. to me like just an extension of, of the self, a beautiful one, which can really be a catalyst for awakening. I, I deeply have come to appreciate what is called the lockdown because it has put us in a place where we can no longer run away from ourselves. We can certainly be online forever, but in online, how much candy can you eat? You know, it's like at some point you start to turn and say, I need something nutritious. Yeah. And I, I thank you for what you're doing. And I'm so just thrilled that the ancient ways not are only relevant again, but perfectly complement all the gaps in Western cosmology. And I just know that there's a divine plan unfolding. And at this time and place, the light is flowing through the channels that were left void, and the void being the absence of light or what is called darkness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we bring it back um, to your story, you were told that your your job, or I don't like to use that word, but part of your path was to kind of take this wisdom and and, and take it out there to the world. And, and I'd just like you to tell me a bit about what is the wisdom um, and and how are you doing that? How are you going about that at the moment? Yeah, sure. I actually, when I came in and was sitting with the mountain spirits in person, in flesh and bone, as they manifest, they said, you know, Jeffrey, you're the first Westerner that has been brought up into the tradition and certainly the only one that has gone into the celestial level. And the reason for that is that you grew up speaking the language of the Western mind. You grew up in the duality and the suffering of the Western mind. You can not only relate, but we want you, we're giving you the name of messenger, Kwaman Cheek, so that you can go back and translate and find the language and use references into Christianity and Hinduism and Buddhism and all the other isms so that you can find a manner in which to just simply place a glass of water on the table. And I've come to understand that I can't even lead, no one can lead a horse to water any longer because mm -hmm. that's uh, kind of a narcissistic value to it as well. And so I realized that the 17 years I spent in media and the 17 years I've spent as a mystic now combined to create a format that we can go and use the light and sound in the transmission of media, whether that be Wi-Fi or cellular or satellite, film, television, what have you, Instagram. Mm -hmm. And we can just simply place those little nourishing nuggets out there for people to partake in if they so choose. Mm. And what's interesting is I've come to understand that we can't force it because every soul has its own, its own unfolding like a fern or a flower. Yeah. And at the right time, it is going to be ripe and ready for itself. So to try to speed up that is just 
an insult to that manifestation of creation itself. And so possibly violence, right? Yeah, absolutely, an act of violence. And it's I have found around me, as I say to whether it's my child or a partner or a student or something, it's, you know, I, I can simply say this, but it's going to feel like you're being pushed. And you are going to be feel like you're pushed because it's going, and you are going to have a limbic response because we are going to try to protect that which we know that has been keeping us safe, even if that is very damaging overall. So where I took that all was quite simply to, to reinvigorate my media background and to create the Living Wisdom Project to make a series of films like uh, Wisdom Keeper Paco and Dino that chronicles the life of the Ultima Sioux and to do profiles of wisdom that I'm doing now. And I'm working on a, a short 20-minute piece with the Wataha Maori elders from New Zealand talking about the haka, mm-hmm. not as a war dance, but as a healing uh, paradigm. And also creating a living wisdom library, which is a combination, an online database of downloads, ceremonies, songs, sharings from various elders who are embodying the light the world over. Yeah. I think in my little way, that's how I can best contribute using uh, the tools that I have at my disposal. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in discussion with a lot of people um, at the moment from all kinds of dis- different disciplines, whether they're spiritual uh, backgrounds, um, I, I, the more kind of traditional backgrounds like where, where you've learned. Um, and whether in the psychedelic community, and some of them have been studying for years in this, but one, one thing that they all have in common is they're very cool with the fact that evolution is not finished, we're not there, we're in a process of that. And what's happening at the moment seems to be very key. And they're, they're all in kind of agreement that there's a mass conscious uh, awakening. And I know in private, we've spoken about this already. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought we'd just touch on that a little bit on what you think's what do you think is afoot at the moment? Where is the collective mind evolving into? I've got different answers from different people of what they think is, is happening, what's being born on this earth uh, at the moment. But I, I'd like to know what you think. I'll quote an elder that shared with me this. She said, humanity is a time of not only entering back into the Garden of Eden, but putting the fruit back on the tree, stepping out of it. And I, what I mean by that is stepping out of the selfishness or the separation that hoards and protects at everything else's expense. That is so distanced from the water that we don't realize what we're pouring into it by washing our clothes in chemical detergents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so humanity through its own negligence is waking up to its own negligence. And really experientially, that's the only way we can do it. Because if we were to mind the teacher and do the thing that it does, or the teacher being a guru or God coming in and saying, don't do that, would we all not just do it anyways, despite external authority? So I find you're coming full circle into another dimensional reality, a fourth dimensional, fifth dimensional reality that is based in unconditional love. And in order to get to that space, as another colleague of mine so eloquently put it, we must run into every condition that we have in order to come to unconditionality or Aini, unconditional right relationship. So I would say in general, we are evolving beyond the realms of consciousness that live in duality 
it is, I don't feel we're going anywhere. Conversely, I feel like it's all coming here. And even if I was to seek spiritually, I would be leaving the place where it is held, and that is the garden. And that garden, I must become the master gardener, I feel, and learn how to overturn the soil and use the compost or the detritus of my experience. In the Andes, as I mentioned, the word for ego is kaka. So I must turn that kaka into the soil of my being and grow the new consciousness out of that and use my masculinity to be the stalk of that sunflower and use my femininity to be the flower of that sunflower and receive the solar rays or the holy rays so that I can receive consciousness in a way where the seeds of my being become the expression of my soul and that everything I engage from the way I clean the toilet, the way I write a page, the way I type an email, the way I, I drive a car, the way I teach a class becomes a signature of soul, an expression of that understanding so that the state of samadhi is not dependent on sitting quietly in a room like yeah. my... Apache teacher said years ago and said, Jeffrey, you've learned how to sit and achieve ecstatic states by yourself in darkness. Now I want you to stand up, open your eyes and run as fast as you can through life and achieve that same state. Yeah. And I feel as a human race, that's what we're, we're doing right now. Yeah. And, and there's, there's so much um, literature out there about now about presence, the importance of presence, the what about being in the now, being so totally absorbed with, with what you're doing and focused and attentive to that, that it becomes sacred and magical in itself. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about, which I, I do run this past people quite often, but I, especially within the spiritual community, and I put apostrophes over it, um, about complicity and hypocrisy, because... We all talk about, you know, I, I don't want any more plastic in the ocean, and you know, we're releasing too much carbon dioxide into the into the environment. And yet I'm sat here with a plastic bottle and drinking water, and, and I'll be getting a flight to Bali uh, soon enough when things open up. And so I recognize my own complicity, my own hypocrisy in, in a system that I'm not necessarily trying to change because I believe in a divine unfolding uh, plan, but 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 I I don't like it, and yet I'm complicit in it. And and anybody that talks about about it is also complicit in it. It's it's a strange paradox. Absolutely. I think it comes down to we the people and what we're experiencing now is the population stepping outside of the door and saying, wow, I've actually been locking myself down and I no longer need to do this. And I'm going to step out and put my arms around one another. And we're together we're going to decide to have a one-use single plastic ban. And together we're going to decide to um, mitigate, you know, travel. I mean, I am hypocritic myself because I travel using, you know, the available means that we have. But really, it comes from a, a disempowerment that has been um, ridden over by people in control. And so without going too deeply into us versus them or anything like that, we are in a, a beautiful opportunity to become one. So that 99% becomes the 100% as opposed to being the 99% versus the 1% and all of that, you know, evolution of separation that goes on. So we can focus on many things that are wrong, but the first rule of shamanism is whatever you focus on, it makes it stronger. So my invitation to myself, to you, to everyone is simply to say, how can we come together and how can we make decisions that are best for everyone involved and give ourselves the time and space 
to mitigate the situation and come up with other solutions. I love what Buckmaster Fuller said is just like, create a new idea that makes the old idea obsolete as opposed to being in opposition. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I think there's an element required of kind of self-forgiveness there as well, as many religions talk about and spiritual practices talk about, like as, as we try to incarnate the Logos, try to kind of be in touch with the Atman, try to manifest the, the self, be in touch with the divine. We're imperfect beings and, and we're imperfect as individuals and imperfect as a whole. And so there has to be an element of self-forgiveness there as well. But like you say, a proactive uh, communal uh, intention to be better and to do better in the world. I find that if without that friction or without that experience, what we might call a mistake or wrong choice, which there is none, it doesn't give us the opportunity to choose something different. So absolutely, I feel like you, that we have to recognize that everything is an unfolding of creation. And we simply train our minds and literally create new neural pathways of connection by choosing something different. And then that which the collective or the individual no longer chooses atrophies and becomes obsolete. And yeah. there is a great forgiveness in all that because, you know, just in the Christian tradition, there's a prayer, forgive me, Father, for I do not know what I do, or forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. But there is no they, right? Yes, yes. No, that's it. Yeah. So, right. I mean, can you get, just to go back to the journey there, can you, can you tell me now what you're up to in the moment? Um, what, what, what projects you're on with at the moment and, and how you're integrating all this? How's it going? How, they, they sent you out to spread the wisdom. You're yes. doing a number of things, including doing a movie. Um, you're, you're, like you said, in multiple different countries all the time. But uh, mm -hmm. what, how's it going in the moment? What are you on with? At the moment, I'm really enjoying what's called a lockdown which there isn't one on Bali, and being in an opportunity to really be outside of any Western tourism or connection and just sitting with the fishermen, to use a spiritual term, you know, going out to sea every day. And with that, I'm editing and putting together the Profiles of Wisdom. I'm creating the structure for the Living Wisdom Library. I'm going online to connect with the neural network, as you put it. Uh -huh generating a body of work to help put the nutrients on the table so people can to live by them as well as running retreats so people can have immersive experiences and regenerating livingwisdomproject.org, the website that it all runs through and working with technicians to create a set up the database. So it's, you know, once it's continuing with what has been going on, making the media, doing the retreats, offering the programs, doing the talks, um, as well as doing deep dives in myself to sit in the humility, to discover the hypocrisy, to find the places of violence left in myself based on separation or past experience, and um, really taking the time to rest and rejuvenate because we've all been working so hard and so long. And, yeah. Uh, if I don't have that gas in my tank, I certainly cannot prepared for the journey ahead because from all the indicators I get, it's just and so yeah I I'm looking think, to go ahead. I'm, yeah you go ahead. I was gonna say I'm looking to also expand out and work with other orchestrations. I find <clears throat> excuse me that my own instrument is very well 
uh, used in complement to others because we can't do it alone anymore. If we're coming together collectively, then I feel we need to work collectively. We need to, to, to bring the alchemy of what we uh, offer each other so that we can be a larger uh, configuration of it. Yeah, and I think what you just mentioned there about humility and self-investigation, checking our own egos, um, just about the ego, one thing I've, I've noticed, and, and I noticed this in myself at first, is when one has an initial awakening uh, to uh, vaster vistas of what is the self and, and, and who one really is, or more importantly, who one really isn't, uh, it, it can leave you in a kind of state of not knowing um, who you are or what you are, and then kind of co-opting a new identity. And so what I, what I find, and maybe you can touch on this, but in it, this, the ego can then take us a second floor. So you, you realize you weren't who you thought you were, and then the ego's gone. And the ego can then pick up another uh, image, a more spiritual person. I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a, a, a religious person or whatever it may be. But it, it is kind of an expression on the ego of a secondary level. Uh, and I noticed that it was also important to dissolve that one and then continuously dissolve in a kind of iterated process of death and birth in one body across time. Can you tell me if, if you get where, where I'm coming from, uh, can, you, can you tell me if that was similar for, for you and is it in the Paco practice? Is it something you're familiar with? Yeah, I, it's a basic human construct because we are so identified with external uh, aspects and titles and et cetera, et cetera, that every time we shed a skin, the even the limbic brain reaches out to establish something that is safe, that is known. And so I may have shed my AK-47 to put on a pair of yoga pants, but now I have association with my yoga pants that is just as violent as the AK-47. Mm. And <clears throat> I deal with it every day when I strip away myself, when I run into myself in relation to my children, to my partner, to my work, to... Mm the dopamine response you get from an online like on Facebook kind of things. And these kinds of things we must address, in my opinion, because anything that is external, that is, becomes an illusion, becomes an illusion, becomes a part of the, the sickness, but yet at the same time is a very necessary part of the process of awakening. And so from what I've come to understand, there's five levels of consciousness that we move through. One is uh, unconscious incompetence. We don't know that we don't know what we're doing. And that's can be said for a large number of people most of the time. Mm -hmm. And in a state, we're constantly trying to protect ourselves from things that we're afraid might happen that aren't even true. Mm -hmm. And that's where protection comes in. And then we have the discomfort of conscious incompetence, <clears throat> where we start to realize, gosh, I'm realizing what I'm doing based on external feedback that myself getting sick by myself having struggles, but I don't like that. And I feel very inadequate mm. and I'm going to be judged and marginalized or teased or bullied. So I'm going to avoid that and go back to sleep. Or at that intersection, we go into conscious competence, which is I'm aware that I'm hurting myself and others, that I'm not doing things according to what is best for everything in the, in the graceful machinations of God, you might say. So I need to study, I need to become an apprentice. I need to listen to others that have been down that path already. I need to go to school. And that's a very dedicated, very um, difficult time because that's where we run into all of our conditions and all the aspects of ego. And at the same time, if I may, we run into embodied imagination. 
where I might find myself as a Paco at a certain level and the voice in my head that I want to be a, a mountain spirit, I want to be Mother Earth, I want to be lightning talking to me is actually my own ego trying to tell me something because it wants to be cool. Mm. And that's a very, very tricky neighborhood. It's so subtle. It's so subtle, so, right? Absolutely. Because, you know, who is to say what's what? And, and if, what I've found is if I can stay in a place of discernment and really not doubt, but to really say, is this me or is this actually, I want a second sign. And that's one thing of my Native American teachers taught me was ask for a sign. Even if you're in a city, ask like, you know, show me a giraffe. And you're like, there's no giraffe in the city. But then a bus goes by with a giraffe on the side of a billboard, mm. you know. And so to get to the conscious incompetence, where you, the mastery, where you no longer have to think and you no longer, it's just like driving a car after 20 years. You just know how to do it. Mm. Uh, you have to be willing to be in all of those states below that at once or beside that at once. It's not really a hierarchy. And in the same way you asked earlier about the Paco's having a hierarchy, there isn't a hierarchy. There's just levels of transmission and responsibility contained within a council, which is a horizontal um, aspect. And it relates with our vertical relationship, which is what I'm talking about now, which is as I move from the kaka, from the holy shit of my experience. Mm -hmm. And I turn that into compost and I go into the humility of being aware of what I'm doing and then choose consciously to learn and how to overcome that, engage my embodied imagination to come into mastery. At any point along there, I can like shoots and ladders the game. I can slide right back down into Makaka. And not only should I be open to that and willing to that, but that is a necessary, in my opinion, in the traditions vision, you go into that compost so that you can grow your soul higher so that the mountain can become higher so that we can get closer to the sun, we can come closer to the spirits, we can come closer to God, so to speak. Yeah. And that that machination of self-realization and staring at the table without, you know, <clears throat> being too self-absorbed allows us to be better equipped to see when we're, we're kidding ourselves and yeah. then to forgive ourselves because it's a part of the evolution mm -hmm. to become that we don't have to try and ultimately come to that question you had earlier, whereas are we doing this or are we just being passive? Mm -hmm. I'm doing, I'm setting the boat of intention on the ocean. And at times I may be rowing the boat and at other times I'm conjuring the wind when I, I'm exhausted. Yeah. But there's a, has to paddle. And yeah. there's a part of me, the wind. So it's a, a paradox at best. Yeah, and I think it's quite reflective uh, and important to add in there some of the pitfalls of this path. Um, it, it, I mean, there's a lot of people on a on different, well, everybody's on a path, right? <laughs> Everybody is is gone on their path. But I think that at, at that level you were talking about where you you want to learn and you want to, to find a way to get to that, get into the now, get into the present, come into the self. And 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 often many of us will follow very aesthetic um doctrines and principles deny any all of the pleasures of the world push away the world um and it seems to me that when you go through asceticism seriously and you're taking it very seriously for a number of years uh you find that the answer is not necessarily there too and like you say this kind of snakes and ladders thing um it's it's not there either it's it's the middle way um what are your thoughts on on these kind of pitfalls of the path if, if, if you're in my on my wavelength I, I think God sits inside those potholes in the road. Mm -hmm. And when we're not aware of what's on the road in front of us and we're just steering our car, 
we get awakened by that, by cancer, by heartache, by car crash, by dis-ease, by whatever it is that I call the allies of consciousness that are doing their job in the grand scheme of things, as are the demons and the devils and all of that. <clears throat> we're literally making us aware of where we're unaware. <clears throat> it reminds me of a time down in Guatemala with the Mayan elder. She said, let's go into the cemetery and conjure up the, the darkness and negotiate on behalf of the people who are suffering. And so we did, and, and it was quite enlightening because I sat there with all of these beings and I also called in the mountain spirits and the angels and all of them, as did she. And we sat there and it was like having two football teams or two soccer teams in a stadium. One was wearing a white jersey and one was wearing a black jersey. And everybody was giving each other high fives, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And saying, oh, it's been a long time. Nice to see you. And we sat there and we debated. We talked about, okay, this has been put in place because someone's put a spell or someone asked you to do this or somebody made agreement on this point. Are you willing to let go? Yeah, sure, of course, said the dark one. Because I was just playing my part of entrapment and suffering that was seemingly needed by that free will of that person mm -hmm. so that they would choose to come to the light. Now, that doesn't necessarily address, you know, um, dark practitioners and things that are throwing casting spells because that is very much a part of the world. But to sit in a, a wrong or right, a good or bad duality and not recognize everything as an opportunity to be yeah. the alchemist, to be the master gardener, I think that's a, a great missed opportunity in our life. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess what you're saying is these the perceived pitfalls of the spiritual path are the spiritual path, are the path of life, are the path to the light, as you describe Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And in fact, I've come to understand that if I think something is spiritual, that means I believe something is not spiritual. So I've come to the realization that I can just delete spiritual or spiritualization out of my vocabulary and yeah. just call it being conscious. Because part I mean, of Language is so loaded, right? It's so so loaded it's like saying something is awful when you actually break that down it means it's full of awe mm. you know and so i had a discussion with my partner the other day and she said well what you said made it sound like this and i said no it didn't make it sound like that that's a choice that we all take that we actually go into a unperceived victimization by saying something outside of ourselves made us do anything to be sad, to be mad, to be happy. Mm. Now, you can come and take this human vessel that I'm occupying at the moment. It's my choice if I'm going to be hurt by it. Mm. And at level, I think there's a deep responsibility that each of us has to embody. But in order to get there, we have to get there. And that is the path and the potholes and everything else that we're talking about. Yeah, it's kind of getting here and now, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, beautiful. And, and yeah, and if we can be in the here and now, like, you know, the beautiful book says, then we can sit outside of that judgment and we can hold, like my Apache teacher was saying, you know, keep that awareness running down the street with your eyes wide open. And the other elder said, it's no longer time to sit in levitation in the cave. You need to walk down the main street of New York, London, Tokyo, what have you, and literally hold that different dimension of reality as a signature, as an example, um, as an option in the great smorgasbord of life, you know? And if you don't, who's going to do it? It's, it's not about going there and throw it in their face or wearing 
feathers in your hair or being all bedazzled because that can be a distraction too, I find. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I alone, you know, not alone, but I can say for myself that I've gone through various stages where I thought I need this poncho or I need this, this, and I need to that. And then I can feel or look like something. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of laugh at myself or with myself <clears throat> in that ignorance and realize God, I look at images of the great saints, they're wearing a white robe or just a piece of cloth. Yes, yes. What more do you need? Well, okay, if you're in cold temperatures, you may need something um, cold. And I've actually had students of mine kind of attack me in a way. <clears throat> I remember doing a, a ceremony in the Netherlands years back. In the middle of summer, it was, what, 35 degrees, which is, you know, about 85 degrees Fahrenheit or so. Oh, no, or, or more than that. I was near, near 90. So let's say 30 and 90. And the next day they said we were up really upset because it didn't feel like you were authentically doing your ceremony because you weren't wearing your alpaca and llama poncho. Yeah. And I, and I smiled and I said, well, really, it was, you know, 30 degrees and it's too hot for a poncho. I only wear that when it's cold. And it kind of became a, a teaching moment, if you will, because it blew the construct of what we have to look like or even present ourselves as meaning we're not capable. And that ties into, gosh, I found that like the janitor at my elementary school sweeping the floor was the most Zen person I've ever met for a child. Yeah, it, it, it's all kind of like a facet of Maya, isn't it? It's, um, it is. It, it, it's, it's part and parcel with the illusion. And do you want the food or do you just want to eat the menu, you know? <laughs> it's, I just it's, want to look good eating the menu. <laughs> just just eat the menu. I mean, and, and but it is uh, I, I, not being judgmental on it. And it's a facet of all of us, of all of our personality, the way we project outwards. But it is yeah. comical and, 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 and funny the way our minds work. And I guess anybody that is uh, awakening, especially teachers and people that are, are really sincerely, authentically trying to teach, has to be aware of that um, projection and, you know, as a, as a psychological sense, is transference. Mm -hmm. um, and those kind of ideas, that, that, that relationship, and is it based on just the image? Or, but then, on, in some respects, as a teacher, if you want to awaken people that are not open to uh, these kind of ideas, it, it helps to look a certain way. Um, you know, well, certainly in my experience in the Andes, as I had mentioned, the, they brought me in and trained me up because I have white skin or a Caucasian, I have blondish brown hair, I have what looks to be a Western configuration that is probably more relatable to the person. And I remember my Apache teacher saying, you have the ultimate camouflage. You can put on a suit and you can go anywhere and no one will have any clue who you are. Oh, and, wow. You know, I, I come to really value that because what I've come to understand is it doesn't necessarily look, it's not what I look like, but it's what I bring in the room. And an elder explained it to me as such was that, you know, you can tell a true um, master or one who has become embodied to an extent by what operates around him or her and what is present when and what is conjured and how the energy or even the temperature of the room changes when the prayers are said and when the ceremonies are offered. And in that way, I found that there's no need for the reassurance of looking in the mirror and looking like a Paco. Or looking presentable. I've also had the converse where I was in New York with an African American friend of mine who, after the evening talk amongst all his friends, 
he got back to me and said, you know, the people were really surprised that you didn't have feathers in your hair, you weren't black, and you didn't speak in tongue. You were some white guy speaking plain English in a manner that they could understand. And we all had a good laugh about it because who's to say that God isn't laying drunk in a gutter waiting for you to sit down next to him and talk to him or her? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it is the case. Like, I, I come across such enlightened people and such unusual, um, normal, what you, what you would class as normal circumstances, and, and, and you wouldn't expect those people to be so in tune with, um, with the source, with nature, with, with the universe. Well, there's, I think there's a misunderstanding out there um, where we think that if we are enlightened or somehow there, whatever there means, then we're going to be in some semi-detached, mystical, non-feeling, white-winged buffalo flying across the horizon every 15 minutes kind of space. And that's the <laughs> furthest thing in my experience from the truth. And, and I've had elders talk to me about it. And what I find and they find is that the more one advances and expands consciousness to meet consciousness itself, outside of the identification of me as Jeff, in past all the identifications of how and who I am in other dimensional realities all overlapped at this particular time and space, there is a presence that is known and an understanding that is known. And then that just simply shows up mm. and there's no definition or need. And in the same way, people will say, what are you going to speak about today? Or what is this retreat going to be about? And I would just humbly bow and say, I can't, really even answer that because it would be completely arrogant of me to think I know what's needed at any particular time. All I can do is hold the tools on my belt and show up in the best way that I can based on my experience and allow that which is to speak to that which is that seems to be sitting in front of me to transmit that which is needed at that period of time so that which is can come into understanding and come back into unity. Mm. And as much as that is a complex, very wordy, maybe esoteric concept, it's very simple, which is, I have no idea. And in fact, I don't want to know. No. If I come to the place where I know, then there's a whole world and universe of not knowing that I'm just resisting and ignoring. And so the passivity that we talked about early on in this conversation comes back to that place of, let me be the canoe across the ocean until I realize I'm not just the canoe, but I am the ocean. And yeah. as, as esoteric as that is, the only way I'm going to figure it out is to go tip my canoe over, to be the pothole, to, to understand that I'm just going to figure out what I want to eat based on what I feel like eating at any given moment. I'm only going to, I'm only going to be the ray of the sun, you know, when I can be the ray of the sun. And if I'm having a cloudy day, it doesn't mean the ray's not there. It's just hidden behind the clouds. And that's where I find forgiveness comes into play because the person who's screaming at me, the person who's challenging me, the person who's robbing me or mugging me or raping me or whatever one may do to another being is simply expressing their own separation from source. Mm. And if to punish them, to chastise them, to reject them, I'm just giving them more opportunity to feel the wound of their own self separation whereas if i take it upon myself and sit in their presence like the man who put the gun in my stomach in los angeles so many years ago to mug me and say brother what are you doing you know as i'm shaking and freaking out that i'm about to get shot mm. you know 
And that was a transcendental experience as much as it was my photons lighting up because in the nitty gritty, deep, dark space of that, I came face to face with a choice to live or not. Mm. Just like when my mind is at the end of its comprehension, I'm going to start having suicidal thoughts because that's the only manner in which the temporal mind can construct the idea of letting go of itself. Mm. And I have to understand that the temporal mind cannot exist within the eternal mind, but the mm. eternal mind is always with the temporal mind mm. as a parent with a child guiding and, and helping it to see. And that's the place of the tour guide, the elder, the wisdom keeper, what have you, that is saying, what is the opportunity? Where is the alchemy? Do not come with your pre-programmed limbic responses. Watch what Jeff is doing. Watch what Ryan is doing. Watch what each of us is doing with an objectivity and yet a connectivity so that I can choose and make decisions what's best for all of us. Yeah. And in that situation in the mugging, which blew me away, which was probably, that was 1994, which was probably my first mystical experience. The guy put the gun down. I gave him the money I had in my pocket. And I said, next, I said, what's going on? And he said, I'm from Central America. I'm desperate. I can't get any work. My children are starving. And I just didn't know any way. And I didn't want to be hurt. And so I, I used this gun. And I said, next time, just ask. And I'll give you the money. <clears throat> started to cry. And I started to cry. And he, he, he turned around and walked away. And the funny thing that I did is my mind wanted to jump him and mug him and get my money back and take his gun. <laughs> and I, like I just a, sat there. American like, response. Like, oh my God, the processing, you, you know, and I just. Oh I God, sat, you want to mug God. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what, what, you know, so I think there's a lot of patience, a lot of forgiveness. And I think we're in a, to go back to that previous question, we're in a time of transformation and transfiguration where mm -hmm. it's up to us to look deeply in the mirror and recognize the only reason we're having the experience we're having is because we're choosing to electromagnetically, consciously, based on a perception, choose that reality. And if you want to get into psychedelics and if you want to get into mind expansion, to give yourself the ability to watch what you're doing, there are many paths and all of the spiritual traditions give you states of mind, pranayama, meditation, yoga, that prepares you to do this work. They're not an end all and I think the Western world gets lost to a certain degree, as I did, thinking that if I became a yoga teacher, then I would be there. If I mastered meditation, I'd be there, when in actuality, it's just giving me the flexibility to get out of tricky situations, and it's just quieting my mind enough to listen to all the conversations that are going on in the realms. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I also, I, our population, I, humans across the world, are so disconnected from these traditional this traditional wisdom and the the lineage of entheogenic and plant medicine use and now we're now we're seeing a renaissance of this which is great mm -hmm. but because i think they're disconnected with the practices and the tools um the, the, it's almost like there is no escape for those individuals in the mind because they're rooted in a materialistic universe and uh, the, the 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 universe is only my matter and no mind and a yeah. thought is real. It's a material, real thing. But, but when one transcends the thought and realizes that the thought is an illusion and language itself is an illusion, uh, and one transcends the notion that matter is all that there is and, and they can go into, into mind, they, they can deal with their suffering. They don't have to atomistically destroy themselves, as you were saying, annihilation from, from yeah. suicide. 
they can transcend that. And I, I, I cry for the lack of, um, I want to help people do that. You know, I'm, I'm a psychologist, so I want to help people do that. But in a, in a Western world where everything is so frowned upon uh, yeah. to even discuss these ideas, or it's so esoteric that it's, um, it's almost blasphemy and or, or, it, it's very, very difficult. Are, are you with me? Yeah, I'm very grateful for the work you do, uh, you know, as a brother, because I find that, like I said, I can just put those glasses of water on the table for whomever is thirsty, because I've come to understand that until people see through their illusion, they're not going to see through the illusion. And therefore, we're going to have the potholes in the road to get it more difficult enough to be locked down, to be in a coma, to be, go through divorce, to go through whatever we go to, we finally say, that's enough. I want to choose something different. Mm -hmm. And that's a matter of free will. And so everything on this planet and in this universe and all universes is there for that very reason. Mm -hmm. So that your free will can do it as long and as short as we want. And yes, absolutely. We are thought of as strange, fringe, odd people. But there's also like the Galileo effect, where how dare you say that the planets revolve around the sun? Yeah. And then you know, years, 100 years, 200 years later, we're building monuments to the man or to the woman who has the courage, like Steve Jobs, through his own psychedelic pursuits, to come up with the term think different. And wow. so I think very much in a state of think different 2.0. It's coming from way showers that had to go through their own process and show the way. Mm -hmm. We've heard of that, and then we have to apply it to our lives and say, why am I working 60 hours a week? Mm -hmm. Am I separating from that? Why? Oh, because I was never shown the tools and I had never learned how to sit in the humility or the vulnerability to do the great work mm. and community of people to do the great work so that I can unravel this onion and unfold this lotus and receive the holy ray directly into my heart and cry. You know, I mean, for God's sakes, as men, we're barely allowed to be sad right Talk to be allowed to be angry but that doesn't work so mm -hmm. i think as a as a as an entire species we're in a in the intersection we're at the crux where everything is turning over and the prophecies of the andes they say there will come a time where there'll be those from the north who find the light from the darkness of their time and when things get 180 degrees opposite from reality from truth We'll have a quantum shift. And so we see that we're moving to a quantum financial system. We're moving to quantum, you know, electromagnetic frequency-based medicine. We're, we're, we're there. We're at 181 degrees, I would say. Mm. And we've that turn. And my colleagues are not just saying prayers and doing ceremonies, like jumping up and down on the corner of the raft to get the whole thing to flip over. They're, they're actually in the process of emanating what, the road is ahead in in common terms if we've been driving on a road full of potholes the mystics are out there clearing the path and laying the gravel for the new road that will come and we are the ones that will pave it in the manner in which we choose mm -hmm. yeah beautiful yeah i mean and you know nicely in line with that what looking to the future we've covered your past and and, and present but what what is your view to the future i mean where do, you, where do you think we go in the immediate future and the far future? I know in the fiber of my being that we have entered the golden era. 
We passed it um, astrologically in 2012. We're well into it. We're in a Panchakuti that lasts from 1975 to 2025. It's a time between era where all the institutes and all the industrialization and all the paradigms associated with that crumble and peel away and the new growth sprouts out of that. So we may be in, in the Northern hemisphere, we're in about March, you know, and we're actually in May and we are watching the ferns pop up through the snow and the crocuses. And we are watching the filaments of a new reality. And as we come out of this lockdown and enter into a new system, as the system turns over in all the ways it is and all the corruption is being taken out in the way that it is, even though it's behind the scenes and hidden until this point, you have to do the research to find it. But we are entering into an era of new technology, of new consciousness, of harmonization of the ancient and the modern ways. We are coming together and we are literally birthing the new era. Now, sure, it is easy to look at the stream outside your window and say, but it's polluted. I can see the plastic flowing down the stream. What I'm saying is look upstream at the spring. Look in deep in your own belly at the wellspring of your eternal self deep in your heart and see that the waters are flowing clear. And the only thing that's polluting it is our minds. And so it is up to us individually and collectively to stop throwing the plastic and the detritus of our mind into this wellspring of grace. And that is, may take five months, it may take five years, it may take 25 years. It will be a process of one by one by one by one by quantum 100 monthly shift. Each cell in this organism of 7.7 billion people awakening to itself. And I can tell you without a doubt in all the indigenous maestros that I work with around the globe, they're all holding space and are ecstatic. And they are saying, you are the ones we have been waiting for because you are the ones that are choosing truth over power. Mm -hmm. And I know you are encumbered by the difficulty of your era and what you have inherited, but fear not the power of nature and fear not the transfiguration that comes through the choice to love everything. Mm -hmm. And when we choose that, that which is out of the frequency of love can no longer exist in the same way when a dark entity comes in the room, the only way not even to combat it, because as soon as you combat it, you've given it energy. The only way to do anything is to love it, because then it forces it to raise its energy to meet you. And so it'll diminish, and it'll leave the room, and then it'll leave the community, and then it'll leave the construct and the globe, because it can't resonate at the low frequency it is in a frequency of fifth dimensional reality, unconditional love that this globe is stepping into. Now are aliens or angels gonna come down and do that work for us? Absolutely not. We, the people will stand in our self authority, in our sovereignty, in our graciousness, in our humility and stumble and bumble and fall and help each other up and walk down and reconfigure and become what our destiny is, mm -hmm. which is balance point between, in my opinion, this is all just my opinion, the separation pendulum swing far into the pain and the suffering that is the counterbalance of where we were 13,000 years ago is in unity consciousness because i have people all the time saying why do we wake up from pain why are we going through all this suffering well in order to wake up and to take the light of creation 
that comes down and is our being that is so subjected to difficulty that we choose pre-incarnationally, incarnationally, by the way, so that we can grow our soul, right? And then we overcome that, and then we empower that light as we exit this life and shed the mortal coil. We become what I'll call light squared. We have the light of eternity and the light that's generated the luminosity from our experience or reality that has become our knowledge, that becomes our wisdom, and that makes that soul spirit present. And that, as I've come to understand it, is how the universe expands. Yeah, and it's unbelievably reflective of things that I've been hearing from from different different thinkers and and explorers into this. I just recently had a conversation with Chris Beish, who uh, mm-hmm. LSD in the Mind of the Universe, and Chris did seventy two LSD sessions over the course of twenty years, working at very high doses. And his conclusion was very uh, similar to what you've just uh, reflected there. He he's it's a uh, um, um, the suffering is the catalyst for uh, the evolution of humanity, and it's evolving not only as an individual, but as a collective. Absolutely. In fact, I can take it back even in a very physical realization where I'm in the Andes and there's certain prayers or certain geometries that are woven into our, our clothing, our ponchos. I'm with the Ainu chief in Hokkaido, Japan. I'm in Taipei Airport at an indigenous museum shop on layover. I'm in with the Aboriginals and I'm with the, the Maori in New Zealand and I'm finding the same words, the same stitching, the same colorations, the same ceremonial truths that all denote a larger civilization that was in the middle of the Pacific Ocean some 60,000 years ago. So what I find is that when the world transfigured itself 13,000 years ago, whether it be the Nakal priests of the Atlanteans or any of the, the sun tribes that were in Lemurian or in Mu, all that energy and all that knowledge was dispersed around our globe for safekeeping, just like the Incans and the Pacos, when the conquistador arrived, they went high back into the Andes and hid for 5,000 years or 500 years until this next Panchakuti that we're experiencing right now. And at that time, as the prophecy says, we will bring our wisdom down from the mountains and hide it amongst the masses. Now, if you're to hide it amongst the masses, what does that mean? I've come to understand that means to become part of everyday consciousness. And another part of that is when we look at global cycles, we're in a solar minimum right now where the temperatures are cooling and we've just exited a solar maximum, which brought everything up, which caused a great stress to the system, which caused the glaciers to melt. But then when I sit with the elders and the apus of the mountain tradition, they tell me inequivocally, we store the wisdom of the ages in the ice crystals of the glaciers. Mm. We know in order to bring it down out of the mountain and hide it amongst the masses, we will enter a time of high activity where the temperature of every solar body will increase, not because of human activity, but because of a 90,000 year cycle that the sun goes through that happens to be mimicked in the ice drillings in Antarctica, Mm. right? And so glaciers to melt, that water needs to be imbibed by all of humanity so that the Christic nature of the water molecule can help awaken the Christic nature of the cells inside the human being. Yeah, and I, I mean, we're certainly seeing it on a global scale, that kind of infiltration of these old ideas. Corporations are, are doing mindfulness meditations, um, 
housewives around the world are, are doing yoga. I mean, it, the East is merging with the West in many ways. The West is going over to the East, the East is merging to the West, this kind of combination uh, of that. Um, we're certainly already seeing evidence of, of, of that happening, and, and that's interesting in itself. I would say that we're actually now integrating the North and the South because what is stored in South America and Africa that has been the resource center of North America and Europe over the millennia here is now being integrated as the value of their wisdom and what they have ascertained and, and maintained over time. Mm -hmm. And in that illumination, we have North, South, East, West. And then as the Native Americans pray, we have above and below. And then we have the within, the seventh arrow, which is the, the holiness that we described about the dwelling or the portal through which creation enters and exits our life. Mm. Yeah. So I, I see it as a very beautiful coming together. And, you know, there'll be a time of confusion per se where we, we react, where we say, well, that doesn't fit my scientific theory. And <laughs> I think that's okay. I think any time that I've been in a discussion, that's where I learn the most. And anytime somebody asks me a question, that's where I learn the most. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. It's beautifully unfolding and exciting. And, and like you say, to, to not know is the best position to be in, you know. Um, it, it is really, there's no absolutes in this, uh, but to take a meta-analysis of, of the information I'm receiving from talking to people like yourself across the world is a nice, it, it's, it's quite reassuring that uh, there seems to be a, a transcendent common narrative between many, many traditions. And that's quite reassuring because it does suggest that um, no matter which way they got to the wisdom, uh, there, is, there is a transcendent truth there, which, which we, we, we can all have some faith in. Absolutely. I think there's a, a, an analogy that has always sat well with me is that we're all instruments of consciousness. And as we come together in different orchestrations, we form different symphonies. We play different types of music. We learn how to conduct ourselves and we allow that which is to be to channel through us and then through the wavelength, go out into the world through this podcast, through whatever the Living Wisdom Library, whatever it is to introduce new language or new concepts so that people can do their own discernment and come to their own conclusions. Because as we have talked about, that's I feel the only way we're going to overcome that. And, and and then I hear a voice saying, yeah, but what about the people that just don't want to or just really, um, you know, they may be um, in a position where they are in danger to do such a thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I see, I was talking to an elder a while back and I said, you know, it feels like we really need to spread out beyond just talking to 10, 50, 100 people at a time at a sitting and really reach the billions and billions. And she said, well, I'd actually say, that the choir is the most important. So even though you've been preaching to the choir, so to speak, that group of 11% of the population, keep feeding them because they're the hundredth monkey. And when it becomes cool to be conscious, then everybody's gonna wanna be conscious. Yeah. So address the influencers, address the people that have great followings. And that has applied to the media that we're doing is actually you know, taking people on these journeys of consciousness with people that have five, seven million people, Twitter followers, so that as they go through their own 
uh, journey of awakening and vulnerability and show their humility and their humanity. Mm-hmm. All the people that, you know, it's playing on the darkness to bring the light. So all the people that want to be cool, like the rock star or the artist or the actor, what have you, yeah. because they're made up to look that way. We play the same channel. We say, okay, you're actually going to go on a deep personal journey of consciousness. And then they're going to see how beautiful that is. And we're hoping that they're going to want to do that too. And so let's use the influencers for the light, shall we? Let's it's use it's almost like using one's uh, using the ego against itself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The dark will come out of the, the light will come out of the dark. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. So, I mean, what does it actually involve your, um, your retreats? Could you just, uh, l- let us know a little bit about that. What, what are they involving? What are you doing with people to take them through these journeys? Sure. They're immersive experiences where as an online program or a day program or a weekend program or retreat takes people into um, techniques. It takes people into facilitated space, guided meditation, movement, uh, animistic consciousness, elemental ceremonies and all of this. But when people go back into their home climate at night, they tend to go and put the clothes back on that they know fit them, which are accepted by their neighbors and their family, so to speak. And so when you go on a retreat, we tend to do nine, 10 day retreats where you have an immersive experience where you're in the culture of the Andes, for example, where you're, you're sit in a construct where everyone in the village is on the same wavelength collectively, where they aren't distracted by technology, why they're out in the fields, they're deep in reverence to Pachamama, you have the space and the time and the lack of reflection of a billboard in front of you where you're comparing yourself to the others. Mm-hmm. Everybody on their journey, and no one is responsible for taking care of anybody else. It is the Paco's job or the facilitator's job to take care of them. And then often we have periods of long silence, like in a Vipassana meditation, so that you can't jump into the constructs and the drunkenness of the mind to offset the discomfort of going into the emotionality that's been pushed down for ages. At times we work with different spirits to facilitate that. We certainly work with the celestial spirits to facilitate that and to meet that. And so people get an opportunity to meet and encounter and listen to and speak with a celestial incarnated being, which is something that is unheard of, you know? And so that alone for me is a watershed event. Is and this then, taking place in, in the Andean mountains? or? Yeah, this is what we do at our retreat center that we built that, um, you know, through the Living Wisdom Pro, uh, livingwisdomproject.org on the website, you go to the retreat page. You can read, we do it in, in uh, New Zealand. We do it in Slovenia and in the Alps in, in Switzerland. We do it in the Andes. We do it in North America. But the mainstay, the most immersive one is in the Andes because you're with an entire culturally based cosmovision and that is coherent and you're amongst all of the pacos and amongst all of the 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 spirits that have never been separate from creation or humanity and so it's something that is near and dear to my heart because it allows a complete immersion into a world that we've never experienced and i gotta say when i first started going down there i couldn't find a reference point for any of this to connect to because i ran into the walls and the limitations of the mind of my Western upbringing. And so that was, I went out to the jungles and started working with plant medicines to deconstruct all those barriers, mm-hmm. to put everything on level playing ground, to get to the point 
where the ayahuasca would come in and say, as I'd mentioned, whatever it is you find outside yourself, seek it inside and heal it there and you won't find it outside yourself. And I realized with that tools and that connection, because she's always with me, as I'm always with myself, as yeah. much as I can, you know, <laughs> that I don't need to go back and be dependent on something or someone mm. to do that I solely can only do for myself. Now, if I get into a jam, obviously I'm going to consult an elder. I'm going to go sit under the great redwood tree and ponder life and ask for assistance from the spirits. Yeah. It's an opportunity to have a very uh, cognitive, very immersive, very heart-centered, um, sober connection with spirit in its divine and many and multitude of forms. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very interesting for, for me, uh, I, also with a Western, originally a Western mentality that it has also gone through the entheogenic um, usage, uh, because it's, it's actually, you, you, what you're describing is foreign to me also, even mm -hmm. uh, without the use of entheogenic tools, that, that uh, they may, you're able to manifest these things, you know, uh, and I, I guess that must be a challenge for you, right? To actually get people into the retreats in the first place because of skepticism, if you know what I mean, with the greatest of respect, that is. I recognize that there's a great skepticism out there, but I haven't done any marketing or anything other than follow Vision to make a film, Wisdom Keepers, Paco and Dino. Yeah. An ambassador of that state of being, and, I've, and it's on Gaia television in, in many places. But that has touched people in a way that has filled every retreat for the last 15 years. Wow, that's brilliant. And that is the passivity I think we were talking about back oh. in the early part of this conversation where I had to take the action to use my skill set to form the light transmission through the film so that it could be received, that glass of water could be put on the table and mm -hmm. those who are have drunk it. And I feel like without a doubt, I've come to understand and trust that. Do I have doubts? Yes. Do I struggle? Yes. Do I have all of this reinforced over and over and over again by people who want to, to tear that down? Of course. Do I have a stronger part of me that over 25 years has been shown that all I have to do is show up and spirit will orchestrate everything? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that's their job. And that's what they say constantly is you just do the work, we'll pay the bills. And it's an agreement that takes a lot of, lot of faith and a lot of trust. And you know, how many proofs do we need until we finally just surrender and allow that which is to be present with us? And I'm just a, you know, a kid from the suburbs of California that grew up frustrated and rebelling against my parents, rebelling against the restrictions of the matrix. Mm. I decided to take the red pill, you know, to use that metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Go through the shock and all of that and the humility of that and the holy shit of that and just be able to show up and, yeah, you know, my elders say, you know, you need to step out even more so now and people are going to judge and criticize, but you can't expect to blaze a trail and not get thorns in your shins now, can you? Well, so, I guess what makes it so beautifully uh, unique, you know, and, and such a, such a, a unique thing. And it, it all goes back again to that kind of journey, that uh, transcending 
the limits, mm -hmm. limitations of what were the perceived limitations of the self into deep horizons. I mean, it's Jung's process of individuation, stepping further outside of, of the, uh, from the collective mind, becoming an individual. But the one kind of drawback to that is the more you go out, the less people you can talk back to and, and that are going to be able to hear you, you know? Yeah, in our tradition, we say the higher you, you climb the mountain, the less people are there. Oh, really? So it's, a, yeah, I mean, it's all reflected. Psychology, religion, spirituality, whatever whatever you want to call it, it's all, it's all a house of mirrors and the same yeah, message. I feel that no matter what path you're on, like the Taoists said, just find a path because truth is truth and it's going to reflect itself in that mirror in whatever language or form it needs. And, you know, I, I feel like the only thing we can do is use the tools we have, like you're doing with this podcast and working in psychology, for example, mm -hmm. and transcending and bridging and doing the alchemy. And so for me, with my work in the retreats, there's a lot of people that will email, get in touch and say, what type of medicine are you going to be doing on the trip? And I say, we don't do medicine. We give the opportunity to have the same type of experience in the consciousness and the sobriety of your spirit and your soul mm -hmm. and they're like wow i never experienced that and even to compliment that i was i've been asked to a number of gatherings and we showed up at a gathering of elders adults my colleague in the andes and i and where the majority of the practitioners were medicine practitioners and had the depth and the wisdom of that was beautiful. And yep. then we did our ceremony, we did a, an offering and a calling and a blessing and called in all of these spirits and they all came in and everybody was just stunned. And I had the organizer come up to me afterwards and he said, you know, Jeffrey, I have never, I didn't even know that was possible. And I had never experienced anything like that. With the out, without the use of some substance in order to alter my reality so that I could perceive that. But somehow your tradition allows you to form that same, uh, well, should we call it morphogenic field around us yeah. that induces a state of awareness on par with the, the psychedelics. Perfect. It doesn't, it doesn't have the vision. It doesn't have the navigation of the drunkenness. It doesn't have the lack of control. But what it has is like sitting in the arms of peace and sitting in the arms of grace and beauty and love mm -hmm. and allow to consciously take our Western minds step by step by step into the reality that that exists. And I think a lot of people, I would say even the vast majority of Westerners, not only don't want to do medicines, but are afraid to lose control, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's not for everybody. It's, it's certainly not for everybody, you know? And, and there are... There are there are clearly many, many ways. The Tibetan Book of the Dead was, was written somehow, right? Um, and 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 there is no history of entheogenic use with them, from what, what I'm aware of. But I, I think it's amazing what you're doing. Um, and we're going to post um, your video as well, hopefully, alongside this. And and yeah, thank you for taking the time to talk with me, Jeffrey. If people want to find out more about you, where could they look? Uh, livingwisdomproject.org and um, I just thank you so much for everything you're doing for the time today and um, for everyone out there who's making the explorations uh, to give us a time to chat. And uh, by no means do I have the answer, but I certainly just have my experience. So thank you all so much. Perfect. And I look forward to checking in with you probably next year and see where, see where you're at. Sounds very yeah. good. And I'd like to invite you down to the Andes as my guest to 
come along and have that experience. I may just take you up on that, Jeffrey. Yeah, brilliant. Thank yeah, thanks Ryan. a lot, my friend. Blessings. Blessings. Thank you.